0: Chapter 6 Part 1 of Through the Brazilian Wilderness This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ben Wilford. Through the Brazilian Wilderness by Theodore Roosevelt. Chapter 6 Through the Highland Wilderness of Western Brazil. Part 1 we were now in the land of the blood-sucking bats, the vampire bats that suck the blood of living creatures, clinging to or hooving against the shoulder of a horse or cow, or the hand or foot of a sleeping man, and making a wound from which the blood continues to flow long after the bat's thirst has been satiated. At Terrebonne, there were cattle and one of the calves turned up one morning, weak from loss of blood, which was still trickling from a wound forward of the shoulder made by a bat but the bats do little damage in this neighborhood compared to what they do in some other places where not only the mules and cattle but the chickens have to be housed behind bat-proof protection at night or their lives may pay the penalty the chief and habitual offenders are various species of rather small bats but it is said that other kinds of brazilian bats seem to have become at least sporadically and locally affected by the evil example and occasionally vary their customary diet by droughts of living blood one of the brazilian members of our party hona the botanist was a zoologist also he informed me that he had known even the big fruit-eating bats to take to blood-sucking they did not according to his observations themselves make the original wound but after it had been made by one of the true vampires they would lap the flowing blood and enlarge the wound south america makes up for its lack relatively to africa and india of large man-eating carnivores by the extraordinary ferocity or bloodthirstiness of certain small creatures of which the kinsfolk elsewhere are harmless it is only here that fish no bigger than trout kill swimmers and bats the size of ordinary flitter mice of the northern hemisphere drain the life-blood of big beasts and of man himself there was not much large mammalian life in the neighborhood kermit hunted industriously and brought in an occasional armadillo coati or agouti for the naturalist miller trapped rats and a queer possum new to the collection cherry got many birds cherry and miller skinned their species in a little open hut or shed moses the small pet owl sat on a crossbar overhead an interested spectator and chuckled whenever he was petted two wrens who bred just outside the hut were much excited by the presence of Moses, and paid him visits of noisy unfriendliness. The little white-throated sparrows came familiarly about the palm cabins and whitewashed houses and trilled on the roof trees. It was a simple song, with just a hint of our northern white-throated sweet and plaintive melody, and of the opening bars of our song-sparrow's pleasant, homely lay. It brought back dear memories of glorious April mornings on Long Island, when through the singing of the robin and the song-sparrow comes the piercing cadence of the metal art. and of the far northland woods in june fragrant with the breath of pine and balsam fir where sweetheart sparrows sing from wet spruce thickets and rapid brooks rush under the drenched and swaying alder boughs from terapadon our course lay northward up to and across the plan the highland wilderness of brazil from the edges of this highland country which is geologically very ancient, the affluents of the Amazon to the north and of the plate to the south flow with immense and devious loops and windings. Two days before we ourselves started with our mule train, a train of pack oxen left, loaded with provisions, tools, and other things which we would not need until after a month or six weeks. We began our descent into the valley of the Amazon. There were about 70 oxen most of them were well broken but there were about a score which were either not broken at all or else very badly broken these were loaded with much difficulty and bulked like wild broncos again and again they scattered their loads over the corral and over the first part of the road the pack-men however copper-colored black and dusky white were not only masters of their art but possessed tempers that could not be ruffled When they showed severity it was because severity was needed and not because they were angry they finally got all their long-horned beasts loaded and started on the trail with them on january twenty-one we ourselves started with the mule train of course as always in such a journey there was some confusion before the men and the animals of the train settled down to the routine performance of duty in addition to the pack animals we all had riding mules the first day we journeyed about twelve miles then crossing the sapataba and camping beside it below a series of falls or rather rapids the country was level it was a great natural pasture covered with a very open forest of low twisted trees bearing a superficial likeness to the cross timbers of texas and oklahoma it is as well fitted for stock raising as oklahoma and there is also much fine agricultural land while the river will ultimately yield electric power it is a fine country for settlement the heat is great at noon but the nights are not uncomfortable we are supposed to be in the middle of the rainy season but hitherto most of the days have been fine varied with showers the astonishing thing was the absence of mosquitoes insect pests that work by day can be stood and especially by settlers because they are far less serious foes in the clearing than in the woods the mosquitoes and other night foes offer the really serious and unpleasant problem because they break one's wrists hitherto during our travels up to paraguay and its tributaries in this level marshy tropical regions of western brazil we had practically not been bothered by mosquitoes at all in our home camps out in the woods they were at times a serious nuisance and cherry and miller had been subjected to real torment by them during some of their special expeditions but there were practically none on the ranches and in our camps in the open fields by the river even when marshes were close by i was puzzled and delighted by their absence settlers need not be deterred from coming to this region by the fear of insect foes this does not mean that there are not such foes outside of the clearings and of the beaten tracks of travel they teem there are ticks poisonous ants wasps of which some species are really serious menaces biting flies and gnats I merely mean that, unlike so many other tropical regions, this particular region is, from the standpoint of the settler and the ordinary traveler, relatively free from insect pests and a pleasant place of residence. The original explorer, and to an only less degree the hard-working field naturalist or big game hunter, had to face these pests, just as they have to face countless risks, hardships, and difficulties. This is inherent in their several professions or advocations. Many regions in the United States where life is now absolutely comfortable and easy-going, offered most formidable problems to the first explorers a century or two ago. We must not fall into the foolish error of thinking that the first explorers need not suffer terrible hardships, merely because the ordinary travelers, and even the settlers who came after them, do not have to endure such danger privations and wearing fatigue although the first among the genuine settlers also have to undergo exceedingly trying experiences the early explorers and venturers made fairly well beaten trails but it is incumbent on them either to boast of their own experiences nor to misjudge the efforts of the pioneers because thanks to these very efforts their own minds fall in pleasant places the ordinary traveller Who never goes off the beaten route or who on this beaten route is carried by others without himself doing anything or risking anything does not need to show much more initiative and intelligence than an express package he does nothing others do all the work show all the foresight take all the risk and are entitled to all the credit he and his valise are carried in practically the same fashion and for each the achievement stands about on the same plane If this kind of traveler is a writer, he can, of course, do admirable work, work of the highest value. But the value comes because he is a writer and observer, not because of any particular credit that attaches to him as a traveler. We all recognize this truth as far as highly civilized regions are concerned. When Bryce writes of the American Commonwealth, or Lowell of European Legislative Assemblies, our admiration is for the insight and thought of the observer and we are not concerned with his travels. When a man travels across Arizona in a Pullman car, we do not think of him as having performed a feat bearing even the most remote resemblance to the feats of the first explorers of those waterless wastes. Whatever admiration we feel in connection with his trip is reserved for the traffic superintendent, engineer, fireman, and brakeman. But as regards the less-known continents, such as south america we sometimes fail to remember these obvious truths yet there remains plenty of exploring work to be done in south america as hard as dangerous and almost as important as any that has already been done work such as has been recently done or is now being done by men and women such as hazelman faraby and miss snaglish the collecting naturalists who go into the wilds and do first-class work encounter every kind of risk and undergo every kind of hardship and exertion. Explorers and naturalists of the right type have opened to them in South America a field of extraordinary attraction and difficulty. But to excavate ruins that have already long been known, to visit out of the way towns that date from colonial days, to traverse old, even if uncomfortable, routes of travel, or to ascend or descend highway rivers like the Amazon, the Paraguay, and the lower orinoco all of these exploits are well worth performing but they in no sense represent exploration or adventure and they do not entitle the performer no matter how well he writes and no matter how much of real value he contributes to human knowledge to compare himself in any way with a real wilderness wanderer or to criticize the latter such a performance entails no hardship or difficulty worth heeding its value depends purely on observation not on action the man does little he merely records what he sees he is only the man of the beaten routes the true wilderness wanderer on the contrary must be a man of actions as well as of observation he must have the heart and the body to do and to endure no less than the eye to see and the brain to note and record let me make it clear that i am not depreciating the excellent work of so many of the men who have not gone off the beaten trails i merely wish to make it plain that this excellent work must not be put in the class with that of the wilderness explorer it is excellent work nevertheless and has its place just as the work of the true explorer has its place both stand in sharpest contrast with the actions of those alleged explorers among whom mr savage landor stands in unpleasant prominence from the sepatuba rapids our course at the outset lay westward the first day's march away from the river lay through dense tropical forest. away from the broad beaten rep every step of a man's progress represented slashing a trail with a machete through the tangle of brushes low trees Stony scrub and interlaced creepers. There were palms of new kinds, very tall, slender, straight and graceful, with rather short and few fronds. The wild plantains or thronged the spaces among the trunks of the tall trees. Their bowls were short, and their broad, erect leaves gigantic. They bore brilliant red and orange flowers. There were trees whose trunks bellied into huge swelling there were towering trees with buttressed trunks whose leaves made a fretwork among the sky far overhead gorgeous red and green trogons with long tails perched motionless on the lower branches and uttered a loud thrice repeated whistle we heard the calling of the false bell-bird which is gray instead of white like the true bell it keeps among the very topmost branches heavy rain fell shortly after we reached our camping-place Next morning, at sunrise, we climbed a steep slope to the edge of the Paris Plateau, at a level of about 2,000 feet above the sea. We were on the Planalto, the high central plain of Brazil, the healthy land of dry air, of cool nights of clear running brooks. The sun was directly behind us when we topped the rise. Raining in, we looked back over the vast Paraguay marshes, simmering in the long morning light then turning again we rode forward casting shadows far before us it was twenty miles to the next water and in hot weather the journey across this waterless shadeless sandy stretch of country is hard on the mules and oxen but on this day the sky speedily grew overcast and a cool wind blew in our faces as we travelled at a quick running walk over the immense rolling plains the ground was sandy it was covered with grass and with a sparse growth of stunted, twisted trees never more than a few feet high. There were rays, ostrich, and small pampas deers on this plain. The coloration of the rays made it difficult to see them at a distance, whereas the bright red coats of the little deer and their uplifted flags as they ran advertised them afar off. We also saw the footprints of cougars and of the small toothed big red wolf cuckers are the most invertebrate enemies of those small south american deer both those of the open grassy plain and those of the forest it is not nearly as easy to get lost on these open plains as in the dense forest and where there is a long reasonably straight road or river to come back to a man even without a compass is safe but in these thick south american forests especially on cloudy days a compass is an absolute necessity we were struck by the fact that the native hunters and ranchmen on such days continually lost themselves and if permitted traveled for miles through the forest either in circles or in exactly the wrong direction they had no sense of direction as the forest dwelling nadorobo hunters in africa had or as the true forest dwelling indians of south america are said to have on certainly half a dozen occasions our guides went completely astray we had to take men to disregard their assertions and to lead the way aright by sole reliance on our compasses on this cool day we travelled well the air was wonderful the vast open spaces gave a sense of abounding vigour and freedom early in the afternoon we reached a station made by colonel rondon in the course of his first explorations there were several houses with whitewashed walls stone floors and tiled or thatched roofs They stood in a wide, gently sloping valley. Through it ran a rapid brook of cool water in which we enjoyed delightful baths. The heavy, intensely humid atmosphere of the low, marshy plains had gone. The air was clear and fresh. The sky was brilliant. Far and wide we looked over a landscape that seemed limitless. The breeze that blew in our faces might have come from our own northern plains. The midday sun was very hot. But it was hard to realize that we were in the torrid zone there were no mosquitoes so that we never put up our nets when we went to bed but wrapped ourselves in our blankets and slept soundly through the cool pleasant nights surely in the future this region will be the home of a healthy highly civilized population it is good for cattle raising and the valleys are fitted for agriculture from june to september the nights are often really cold any sound northern race could live here And in such a land with such a climate there would be much joy of living. On these plains the telegraphic commission uses motor trucks and these now to relieve the mules and oxen for some of them especially among the oxen already show the effects of the strain. Traveling in a wild country with a pack train is not easy on pack animals. It was strange to see these big motor vans out in the wilderness where there was not a settler not a civilized man except the employees of the Telegraphic Commission. They were handled by Lieutenant Loretto, who, with Lieutenant Mello, had taken special charge of our transport service. Both were exceptionally good and competent men. The following day we again rode on across the Plan Alto. In the early afternoon, in the midst of a downpour of rain, we crossed the divide between the basins of the Paraguay and the Amazon. That evening we camped on a brook, whose water ultimately ran into the Tapajos. the rain fell throughout the afternoon now lightly now heavily and the meal train did not get up until dark but enough tents and flies were pitched to shelter all of us fires were lit and after a fourteen hours fast we feasted royally on beans and rice and pork and beef seated around ox-skins spread upon the ground the sky cleared the stars blazed down through the cool night and wrapped in our blankets we slept soundly warm and comfortable next morning the trail had turned and our course led northward and at times east of north we traversed the same high rolling plains of coarse grass and stunted trees kermit riding a big iron-mouthed bull-headed white mule rode off to one side on a hunt and rejoined the line of march carrying two bucks of the little pompous deer or field deer behind his saddle these deer are very pretty and graceful with a tail like that of the columbian blacktail standing motionless facing one in the sparse scrub they are hard to make out if seen sideways the reddish of their coats contrasted with the greens and gray of the landscape betrays them and when they bound off the upraised white tail is very conspicuous they carefully avoid the woods in which their cousins the little bush deer are found, and go singly or in couples. Their odor can be made out at quite a distance, but it is not rank. They still carry their antlers. Their venison was delicious. We came across many queer insects. One red grasshopper, when it flew, seemed as big as a small sparrow, and we passed in some places such multitudes of active little green grasshoppers that they frightened the mules. At our camping place, we saw an extraordinary colony of spiders it was among some dwarf trees standing a few yards apart from one another by the water when we reached the camping place early in the afternoon the pack train did not get in until nearly sunset just ahead of the rain no spiders were out they were under the leaves of the trees their webs were tenantless and indeed for the most part were broken down but at dusk they came out from their hiding places Two or three hundred of them in all and at once began to repair the old and spin new webs each spun its own circular web and sat in the middle and each web was connected on several sides with other webs. while those nearest the tree were hung to them by spun ropes so to speak the result was a kind of sheet of web consisting of scores of wheels in each of which the owner and proprietor sat and there was half a dozen such sheets each extending between two trees the web could hardly be seen and the effect was of scores of big formal-looking spiders poised in mid-air equidistant from one another between each pair of trees when darkness and rain fell they were still out fixing their webs and pouncing on the occasional insects that blundered into the webs i have no question that they are nocturnal they certainly hide in the daytime And it seems impossible that they come out only for a few minutes at dusk. End of chapter six. Part one.